Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and thank you very much for joining me. Today, we head to the UK to speak to a good friend of mine, Mr. Conrad Bird, who is the director of the Great Britain campaign at the Department for International Trade in the United Kingdom. Great is the government's or the UK government's most ambitious international campaign ever run, uniting the efforts of both the public and private sector to generate jobs and growth for Britain. The Great brand, and I'm sure many of you have seen the Great brand, has a current value of £271 million and has received 69, that's right, 69 national and international awards to date. In 2014, Conrad's role at the Prime Minister's office at Number 10 Downing Street expanded to include responsibility for delivering major cross-government campaigns and ensuring that the government's spending on communications is both efficient and cost-effective. Conrad previously worked at the Foreign and Commonwealth Office as Head of Public Diplomacy and strategic campaigns, and at the Central Office of Information, and where he dealt with issues such as consumer rights and international exports. He later joined the Cabinet Office as Director of Strategic Communications, where he launched a new approach to government communication and was responsible for campaigns to counter terrorism and other societal issues. He joins me now on the line all the way from London, Conrad. Welcome to GovComs. David, thank you very much indeed. It's uh, delightful to speak to you, and I hope you're having a good evening over there. Certainly are. I certainly am, and I'm looking forward to our conversation because really the the great campaign is one of the great campaigns uh, from, and, you know, we talk about the number of of awards that it's won, the value of the brand. That's astonishing at £271 million, but it is one of the great government communication campaign. So I wonder if you might take us back to the beginning of the campaign to take us through the problem that you were trying to solve and then the journey from the problem to solution to execution. I'd be delighted to. Um, If we all look back to um, 2011, um, it was a pretty tough time worldwide. We had a global economic crisis. Um, Britain wasn't immune to that, and um, uh, we had, um, you know, we had a financial economic uh, situation. And uh, the Brits, being Brits, I think were fairly gloomy in 2011 because um, uh, we thought that the Olympics in 2012, um, in true British style, we weren't quite sure it was going to be a success. We were nervous about it, and Britain, you know, the atmosphere and the mood in Britain, I would say, in 2011 was was pretty gloomy. But some very far-sighted um, individuals in Number 10 looked forward and said, "Look, hold on a second." Guys. Guys, you know, 2012 is going to be our year in uh, in, in, in the spotlight. Um, we've got a Diamond Jubilee, we've got an Olympics, we've got a Paralympics. Let's assume that these are amazing events. And by the way, um, I tip my hat to the way you guys handled Sydney Olympics. But so we had a crisis, a genuine economic crisis, and what I'd call we had a massive opportunity, although people didn't really see it at the time. And these two compelling factors 
um, a crisis and opportunity led some led some pretty out of out of the box thinking. I don't know um, what it's like in the Australian government, but I mean the British government tends to operate in a fairly siloed manner. Um, and this, uh, yet in crisis, people begin to actually focus less on the barriers between them and more on the you know more on how do we get together and how do we move forward. So it was this wonderful conjunction of economic crisis, massive opportunity where Britain was going to be in the spotlight, and some brave thinking in number 10 at the time that said, why don't we actually um, try and put together um, a a way of joining up our entire international um, uh, government uh, communications performance under one new brand called the Great Britain brand. And let's actually join up our international tourism, our trade and investment activity, um, our student activity uh, under one strong, proud, confident brand and actually use it to um, uh, create a, a, a legacy from the Olympics that actually will give us economic return on investment. So that was the real compelling reason. There was a, an opportunity called the Olympics, but there was also a, a crisis where we really need to actually um, you know, uh, uh, generate uh, increased GDP, increased jobs and growth for Britain by increasing the number of tourists coming to the UK, high quality students, and actually really upping our exporting and inward investment performance. And that was the basis for this, for this brave idea. And I, I'll be honest with you in terms of the challenges. Um, uh, it, you know, the great, you know, great, putting the great back into Great Britain um, could be seen by some Brits um, as a bit flag wavy. Uh, it's not necessarily uh, hugely um, you know, cultural in that way because we're actually a modest race. So it was slightly countercultural. It did meet some resistance. But because we had not very much time, because we decided we weren't going to do this by committee, but we were going to really move fast on it, we kind of landed the brand in uh, 2012. I mean, you know, British press had a good laugh about it, but most of the activity was overseas. And gradually through the years past the Olympics, the brand or the campaigns began to actually generate return on investment. In order to continue the campaign, I was very keen that when we spoke to our, our um, financial director, mine was actually the Chancellor of the Exchequer at the time, so he was the guy with the money, that actually this wasn't seen as another communication campaign. And in fact, we called it, when we spoke to the Treasury and we put forward a business case for continuing it, we called it an economic program designed to generate jobs and growth for this country via these various mechanisms, which are just these sectors which I've described. So, you know, it, primarily at its heart, it's, um, we happen to use sophisticated communications to do it, but primarily up uh, at its heart, we pitched it as an economic program designed to actually um, generate jobs and growth for this country. And the success began to roll on. Uh, business got uh, excited by it. Um, clearly, you know, the early adopters from the business side were you know, those who actually um, flew the flag themselves, the Virgins, the British Airways, the Mulberries, the Burberries, all the car companies like Jaguar, Land Rover and Mini. They got it. They got the fact that there was a small team in number 10 running a professional campaign understanding the value of the brand and really pushing it forward in every single way. So business began, the business began to uh, hook up and join us and helped us kind of multiply and magnify it. On the other area as well, we recognize that Britain has huge um, soft power assets from the royal family to the likes of David Beckham and many, many other people. 
And we, you know, in our exalted position in number 10, literally picked up the phone to them and said, look, would you help us? And we, you know, we appealed to a certain sense to their patriotism, but we managed to actually get strong individuals uh, who were much more famous than, um, than our little campaign was to actually uh, give us their image rights to help us on this and actually really help publicize the campaign further. So we began to basically get a ball rolling and we measured it all the way and were very, very keen all the way through to actually measure everything we were doing about that. And as a result of it, it began to take off. Uh, we focused on markets, but we also ensured that the entire Foreign Office, the entire Department for International Trade, had uh, a really high-quality um, uh, bank of assets they could use. And, and that actually enabled us to extend the reach of the campaign to 144 markets around the world, where really our um, entire civil service and diplomatic um, force out in country were effectively acting as a really high-quality sales force with a strong brand, strong narrative, highly visual uh, imagery behind them that actually really helped push the brand further. It's, it's stunning. It is absolutely stunning, that story that you've told. But I'd like to go back to this point around silos and around cooperation. And, and yeah. was that driven by the fact you had the burning platform of the global financial crisis. You had the crisis, and would it be fair to say that if you didn't have the crisis, you'd never have been able to get people to cooperate in the way that you did? Well, that's very a, a very wise point. Um, I think that actually all governments love a crisis in a way because that's actually when, when uh, people act in a different way. And I will say that I create, to keep the whole campaign going, to keep the urgency and the momentum of it, I, I kind of create mini crises to keep the whole thing going. Um, you know, that, that's, uh, that's certainly true. It was a crisis and an opportunity. Um, I think really, uh, in addition to that, two other powerful levers. Number one, we were sitting in number 10 Downing Street, close to the prime minister. So it was in the right place to be able to actually instruct uh, departments to actually play ball. And that was really important. That, if you like, was the stick. The carrot was that actually um, we had our own budget. And so we weren't necessarily saying, here's a kind of, you know, here's, here's a brand or a logo, please use it. We're actually saying, come to us, uh, join us, um, and actually you will benefit from it. And then, frankly, masses of diplomacy, which is uh, why I always say when I entered number 10, I looked like I was a 23-year-old. When, when I left five <laughs> years later, I looked a bit like 56. Um, because it's tough keeping... We now have 20 government departments working with us on the Great Britain campaign and keeping um, those, uh, those government departments together, uh, working together, cooperating and understanding that actually they've given up a little to gain a lot is, is a real art in its own right. Now, the actual creative idea, I think it's very powerful. And if people haven't seen it, just make sure you go online and, and have a look at it because the number of applications of the brand uh, are, are stunning. And the fact that you say you have now 20 government departments using the brand to um, create value and impact for the citizens of the UK and indeed well, more broadly than that. Um, where did the idea come from? And as you say, you're under pressure to come up with a great idea. How did this idea actually come together? Where was the insight? Was it a, a deep dive into market research where the insight was clear or was it some other flash of inspiration? 
Well, um, uh, I'd love to say it was really heavily researched at the time, but we were moving quite fast. Um, we clearly, on the kind of you know, the tourist side, on the education side, we had a lot of market insight. We had a lot of um, understanding of um, uh, where the UK was considered to be strong, what we're in, in a sense, what our perceptual strengths were, what our weaknesses were. A classic one is actually in tourism, where you know um, our culture and heritage. We knew that we were very, very well thought of throughout the world for our culture and heritage, but people as far abroad as China and Brazil didn't really know we had a countryside. And so, you know, for, you know, for five years, we pounded the fact that we've got a beautiful countryside out of London. And we can see that coming through now with um, more people coming to London saying they're going to leave London and go and discover the countryside uh, of the UK than actually saying we're going to come to London and leave. So you know, we were able to understand on one level our audience, uh, our audience uh, insights in, in that way. But on, on the macro level, um, it was you know, no amount of insight would have really come up with the Great Britain campaign. It just needed a flash of inspiration and a kind of brave, uh, brave, brave idea. I mean, it's so simple. It helps that if you're thinking about country branding, it helps that obviously uh, we are called Great Britain. So that actually gives us some sort of authenticity and provenance. Um, but I remember when we first saw it, there was a kind of, you can't say that. <laughs> and there was, there was that moment of both insight and I would say a sharp intake of breath. And of course, like any brand, when it's new, um, it was very simple, very powerful, very strong. And um, it, we, began to, we all began to actually sort of uh, p- uh, push it forward. Interesting fact is another thing that I, I think I'm especially pleased with is you know, we, we put it next to the Union Jack. And that's something in the past the government had been walked away a little for, a bit from the Union Jack. And we wanted to say, look, actually, in terms of um, uh, a noticeable icon, uh, the Union Jack is a very, very well-known uh, icon, and um, uh, it's known around the world. It's, uh, you know, I would hope broadly positively received, but it gave us instant awareness around the you know, linking together, you know, the word great with the Union Jack. We were able to cut through um, uh, the competitive clutter pretty quickly with a bold, simple idea. It's interesting you talk about that need for um, senior leadership of the country, that political leadership to to know, to understand and to own um, this campaign. How did that presentation go on that particular day when you were pitching it in? <laughs> oh, I remember those days in the bunker. I think that actually, um, I mean, it was a very talented agency called Mother, and I'll, I'll, I'll name check them, who came up with the initial idea of, of great. And there, there were some other ideas as well. And it was, you know, frankly, um, there, there really was a sharp intake of breath. Uh, with it, you know, um, a feeling that actually um, uh, this was very strong and powerful, but did we all feel comfortable with it? And it took some, it took some bravery just to say, look, keep it simple, keep it strong, and um, you know, uh, be confident and be and, and be proud of who you are, but not arrogant. You know, actually say uh, it, it, it gave us an uplifting thought, which was really important because if you back it up and you start looking at what this country, what any country has to offer, we have an enormous amount to offer the world. Um, as I say, my, my favourite um, words I used to speak to Prime Minister was that, you know, think about being British is our favourite word is sorry, but you can't necessarily <laughs> apologise. You can't necessarily... Ap- <laughs> you, you can't necessarily apologise yourself to international success. So, you know, you, you can't say sorry when you've got... when you're uh, standing in front of something that says, you know, um, technology is great or innovation is great. It, you know, it's up there. It causes you to put your shoulders back and actually speak very positively about about your strengths uh, to, uh, to to other countries. But again, I'm really interested to know um, your observations about 
the confidence or the bravery or the courage to make this step and just how important the contextual piece was that there had been, you know, that Britain, it was a gloomy time, that there, that there were challenges. Did you need that context to get this up? And if circumstance had been different, do you think the reactions might have been different? I think actually, um, in many ways, the reverse. If, 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 you know, if we'd all known that the Olympics was going to be a triumphant success, it, you know, the context may have been more confident and it might have, in a sense, been easier to get that great word through. Um, that's why I think I really put it down to kind of the, effectively the courage uh, of, uh, of the teams involved to actually get behind this strong idea at a moment of gloom um, uh, to put it forward. I, I must say, um, you know, we had... Um, you know, the British press, we had a week, you know, when it was uh, launched, um, uh, when it was announced in the UK, uh, you know, the, the British press had a field day. They, they laughed their heads off because it just felt, you know, it felt out of context. Um, we appeared in every TV show, uh, comedy show, um, you know, with lots of cynical laughter saying, how on earth could you be saying this at this time? You know, this is another government, mad government initiative. Um, and, and it felt, we felt, uh, you know, quite challenged by that. But once we got it going and once it was out there in markets, the most important thing was not our own feelings, it was actually how the audience responded to it. And that, that's what, when things began to really feed back. And I just remember one thing um, that really filled me, that the, the I felt sort of a um, you know, very memorable moment was uh, you know, in those kind of hard early days of doing it, I got a call in from, uh, from, from number 10 switchboard. I was there and I got a call in from outside and somebody said, uh, there's a quite an angry sounding gentleman here wanting to speak to the director of the Great Campaign. And, you know, my stomach turned to water. I thought, oh, gosh, what have I done wrong here? You know, this is awful. You know, another kind of abuse from somebody. And this rather gruff voice said, uh, you know, um, just want to say that I'm um, standing in front of one of your posters in Mumbai. And I thought, here we go. And um, he said two things. I've never felt so well supported by uh, the British government. I've never felt so proud to be British. And I suddenly thought, you know what? This, this is appealing to audiences, but it's actually also giving our people, our hardworking businessmen in far-flung parts of the world, a, a, a spring in their step. A, a, you know, the government's behind them on that. And I suddenly thought, you know, we've got something here. We've got something that difficult to describe, but actually viscerally, it makes people stand up and actually be a little bit more confident in, in, in the way they go about their business. So how long was it from when you had those moments, that those early days where you're being laughed at, you're being uh, uh, pilloried for the idea, you're, you know, people aren't quite getting where it's at. When, how long did it take before you started to feel that it was, it was working? Um, I think once we, I mean, there, there was a really, really, um, uh, hard period of actually from here's a, here's a logo to actually, um, here are posters all over the world. And that was a really concentrated three month period uh, of actually a very, very manic work. I think as we began to um, feel the atmosphere of the Olympics, I mean, we switched off great during the Olympics. We, we, we launched it before and we picked on afterwards. We weren't going to try and compete with the Olympics. But things began to happen and people began to ring us up uh, in the Olympic thing and say, look, hey, we've got some free ad space. Do you want to put your posters up here because we like them? Um, we also began to get, um, uh, you know, started getting some, some figures in. You know, the tourist uh, authorities started saying, you know what, um, actually, um, you know, awareness of this new campaign, because we were tracking 
it and we were doing audience research, awareness of this campaign is, is, is high. And we thought that's, that's a good start. You know, obviously it isn't all about awareness, but somehow it began to feel actually as if these bold statements, they were actually coming off. And we, we also did a lot of um, what I'd call uh, events uh, stroke PR stunts. And I remember, you know, some of them we had a big... Um, we had a very big uh, kind of event up Sugarloaf Mountain in Brazil, which Prince Harry came to, and um, you know, and obviously uh, lots of Brits, but you know, masses of sort of Brazilian business people, the mayor of Brazil, influencers, and so on. And you suddenly started seeing these videos, and you suddenly started seeing the um, the effect it had of having a member of the royal family. Um, you know, in front of playing football with kids in front of great and you know, great in the background or in a business or in a business environment. And you actually suddenly started looking at that and saying, you know, without in any objective eyes, this is actually looking pretty cool. You know, because we all know that um, in communications, you've really got to be really simple to get your message across. And suddenly seeing these big statements next to powerful individuals or David Beckham, who very kindly gave us his image rights, who suddenly started seeing it next to him. You saw, actually, this works. This, this is beginning to work. So both what I call the heart began to work as well as the head. The head was actually the figures coming in, the return on investment, the awareness, the perception figures. But the heart was actually your gut instinct, which was churning at the time when you saw it land in market, not in the UK, but in in markets around the world. I remember seeing posters in Sydney. thought, oh, those are good-looking posters. Wow, those belong to us. Um, You began to say, this is good, this is good. It, It feels and looks good. It feels, funny enough, it feels and looks much more confident than we were feeling at the time. Yeah, how, how important was the um, you know co-locating the campaign with an event like the Olympics? Because it's interesting when you you mentioned the Sydney Olympics in Australia. I think there's no question that Australia you know turned turned a a, a, a corner you know around not not just Sydney, but I think more broadly there was a a great confidence and a great pride in the way that the the Olympics was. Um, uh, held and and it was such a great uh, event. How important was that successful games in being able to build that momentum for great? Um, it, it was, it, it, in a sense, it was um, something to work to, and it was also a springboard to uh, give us a platform from. Um, I think that internally, of course, it meant that actually, as the Olympics took plos- uh, took, took place. Um, there was an awful. The, the, you know, there were big groups of people focused on on single-minded uh, on the success of this, and therefore, great in a sense was seen as part of that, which really helped. Um, you know, with such a massive event that actually um, government can no longer necessarily act uh, in its business as usual way. So that was helpful internally. I think that um, the fact that the Olympics was a success, it was. Uh, you know, the ceremony, the opening ceremony was you know, quintessentially British. It was quirky. It was humorous. Um, it was authentic. Um, really added, um, added a spring to it. And uh, I remember um, a, a lovely uh, apocryphal saying, I think, which somebody relayed to me, but it was, um, it was a Chinese, uh, somebody in, in China who said, um, you know, and remember, we were, we, we were fighting some quite deeply held stereotypes at the time of Britain being a kind of a heritage nation steeped in the past, great you know, tradition, but really not very, very modern. And uh, I remember a Chinese official 
had said to somebody, he said, uh, you know, I always thought that Britain was a bit of a backwater. I mean, beautiful, but, you know, famous for Stonehenge, but not for nanotechnology. And then I saw um, Thomas Heatherwick's uh, 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 stand at the Shanghai Expo. Then I saw the Olympics and I saw the Great Britain campaign. And he's, 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 meant to, he, he's heard to have said, how long have you been one of the most creative and innovative islands on earth. And I thought, now that, that's really doing it. You know, so, so I think we captured a moment. We surfed a wave, to put it the right way. You know, mm. We knew it was happening. We were bold enough to see or courageous enough to anticipate it was going to be a success. And I think, frankly, it put rocket boosters on, on, the, uh, on the campaign itself, which is why um, so many other nations, in a way, look at those major events and say, how can we, with that moment in the spotlight, how can we actually capitalize on it to make a, a, a strong statement about our country that isn't just about burnishing our reputation, but actually trying to take that reputation and turn it into uh, jobs and growth or, or economic return. And, and that was very much the design of it. And interestingly, I think you made the point earlier that when you were pitching for the funding that you needed to obviously encourage your colleagues in the different government departments, as you say, you were turning up not just with uh, you know a style guide, but you're actually you had money to spend to help them mm-hmm. to achieve their particular objectives. You pitched it as an economic development program. It wasn't pitched as a communications program. T- tell me about you know, that insight as well. And have you continued to pitch it that way and therefore continue to get more funding? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that I, I, you know, there'd be many moments along the way uh, that, that I must say, I, I was particularly proud of that moment because I've been working in government for about, uh, for about 14, 15 years uh, uh, from them. And obviously I recognise there's probably um, you, many governments around the world that when you start speaking to the Treasury, um, the idea of, act- of communications isn't necessarily right up the food chain um, in terms of, uh, you know, um, seen to be hugely valuable or certainly not seen to be something that actually can generate money. Um, communications, even in modern marketing uh, uh, organizations, communications or marketing seem to be a cost rather than investment. And I recognized quite early on that we had an idea on our hands, but that idea could just be a campaign that lasted a year or two and went its merry way. Uh, so how, you know, I, I was puzzling on how do I give this legs? How do I sustain it? Um, you know, we've got a break. We've got that moment in time when government departments came together around a strong idea. But you know, that was great. But actually, it could, uh, it could just die as an initiative. And that was when I began to think, look, actually, if we can demonstrate real return on investment uh, and actually put this not as a communications project, um, but actually as a serious economic program, we've got a chance of actually um, influencing the Treasury to, to support it in many ways. And I became quite obsessed by the evaluation, well, very obsessed by the evaluation behind the campaign um, you know, uh, it, 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 you know I, I strongly believe that actually um, well, communications or marketing does have a return on investment it can be measured um, beyond the kind of you know the the, the softer measures of uh, perception of um, confidence and so on but actually you know we can you know, we, we can attract inward investment via our marketing we can actually attract tourists via marketing and our tourists come and they spend money and that can be attributed to the campaign so I was really keen to actually actually look at the kind of um, 
the metrics and the evaluation behind the campaign set it up so that actually it had a long-term future. And, and that's actually what happened, the combination of showing, showing the numbers behind the campaign, as well as, of course, um, uh, you know, talking to ministers, prime ministers, and actually who naturally got it, funnily enough. Um, you know, you, you, one sometimes says that ministers have short, uh, uh, short attention spans, but every minister I spoke to, and we've had many... Uh, working on the Great Campaign has always recognised a the need for quality, b the need for consistency over time, so it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. It rolls forward, and also um, and have lent their support in that way. So we we really targeted the Treasury and understood their language and wrote a business case that was written in the language of economic return rather than the language of communications. And I, that's something when I uh, talk to and train young communicators around government, I say, for goodness sake, understand that the communications uh, you're doing, it's an investment, not a cost. You have to actually treat it as that way, as, as, you know, as any other government project involving taxpayers' money or uh, shareholders' money, it must be treated as a, an investment rather than a cost. And evaluation and the obsession with evaluation, I think, is what's given uh, this campaign its long life because it's enabled us to um, successfully bid for more funding to sustain it. So take me through that, that that idea that once you've said, okay, I know I have to tell this story in such a way to, to Treasury such that it will make sense. So how and how did you pull that together? How, how was it that you were able to assemble a set of metrics that you were able to set as a, not only a benchmark, but be able to continue to demonstrate over time the impact and the return on investment? Okay, so, um, so there are a number of ways to measure it. I mean, tourism is the, uh, uh, for me, the most uh, well well formed and well evaluated um, uh, uh, activity. So you you do your controls, you, you you do a pre-campaign tracking, you go in there, you know, um, and this is about interviewing panels, saying, "Have you heard of us?" No, I haven't. You do the campaign itself. You go back to those panels. You start saying, "Have you heard about this campaign? Has it increased your consideration to come to the UK? Has it changed your view?" are you actually going to consider coming to the UK? So that, that's your kind of communications metrics. You can then begin to model that out because we know the value of the monetary expenditure of, let's say, a Chinese tourist or an Australian tourist. And we can actually ascribe additionality of, you know, has the great campaign actually um, uh, encouraged them to come? Nowadays, of course, uh, you know, as, as technology becomes more sophisticated, we're able to track their, their journeys through. So an, another area, for instance, in the student area, international student um, work, and by the way, uh, you, you guys are very, very good at this uh, in terms of uh, attracting international students, we can see how um, we've reached um, parents or, most importantly, you know, potential students and how they've come through to the UCAS website. They've applied for universities and actually they've then um, they've gone to a university. And we, and we know the value or you know, in monetary value of that student going to that university. And therefore, we're able to take a very conservative estimate of the additionality that we have created or we, you know, that, we, that we can ascribe to the campaign itself. So more difficult in areas like uh, exporting or inward investment, there's a tiny, tiny additionality. But if you reach out at the moment, as we're doing with our inward investment campaign, um, you know, we're using a lot of LinkedIn work. We're actually reaching out to potential investors. Um, uh, they, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll come to us, they'll come to our sites, we'll qualify their interest, um, and then we'll give them opportunities. And if they take up those opportunities and actually um, become uh, and actually invest in the UK, we may make a tiny 
0.01% um, additional um, value uh, brought on by the Great Britain campaign. So we're highly conservative, but we're always looking to try and um, give, demonstrate a financial return from the activities that we actually do. And um, then you move into areas which are far more difficult to measure, which are areas of what I'd call soft power. And that is, uh, I think, a vital area for the campaign because Britain has you know, huge cultural assets, sporting assets, and so on, which um, make us a very attractive uh, nation to come to. But we must always remember, and sorry, I'm getting on my, uh, my, on my uh, sort of uh, high horse here, that actually <laughs> even the toughest, most rational inward investor has emotion, has emotion and has emotional reasons to choose one country over another. And we know that through our research. We know that actually, um, you know, if you look at all the reasons that somebody may invest in a country, some of the top reasons around, do you know what, I'll feel welcome here. Um, yes, of course, the governance, the infrastructure, all you know, the climate and the opportunity. But will I feel welcome here? Will my family feel welcome here? Will my um, workmates come here? Do I like this country? Am I familiar with it? Language, of course, helps in that way. So soft power is a huge uh, is a huge asset. Um, and in fact, we can see a correlation between. And this is again where. Um, the various strands of the great campaign working together are really, really helpful. We can see a correlation that actually people who either come to a country to, to study or come to a country as a tourist or experience that country's culture in their own country are actually um, you know, up to 30% more likely to invest in that country. There is a real correlation between familiarity with a country and your desire and willingness to do business with it. And, and that's what uh, great recognizes when we keep all these various strands of tourism, uh, students um, and education and, and the hard-hitting inward investment and exports together, that they, they overflow and they, they complement each other. So in terms of your team and have the skills that you require to be able to assemble these conservative but rigorous models, do you have data scientists working with you and who are doing the models? Mm-hmm. We, 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 we do now, um, and we have uh, econometrics uh, pouring through the work as well as, as, as it's become more sophisticated. Um, they tend to be, I mean, um, it, it's, it's a strange structure because we're not one big department. And um, people used to say to me, how many people are running the great campaign? And <laughs> I, said, I, I, I said actually eight. Uh, because that's how many that's how many people we could fit into number 10 Downing Street without being kicked out. But then, of course, you know, that eight in the HQ then translated into 15, 20 in the tourism uh, office, um, uh, you know, 20 in British Council. And then, of course, all the um, uh, all, all the ambassadors and the teams around the world. So it very quickly became quite a large number. So often some of the really sophisticated data science that's been done is being done by our tourist authority or by, by our, what we call our delivery partners rather than us in HQ. We tend to be the conductors of the orchestra. Yeah. It's just such a wonderful example of that collaboration and teamwork, isn't it, that where you're able to take an idea uh, – engage with people yes you had some funding to get people moving on it but then as it moved you were able to see other partners join in and obviously uh, you know what's next for for the great campaign how how do you sustain it into its next 10 years and do you think it will last that long well i'm always asked this by um diplomats who look look me in the eyes and say come on conrad how long is the great britain campaign going to go on and I, I often say to them, how long are you going to be in post? And they say three or four years. I say, oh, way beyond then. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the theory, the absolute theory is there is no reason why this campaign 
cannot last for a good 15 to 20 years. We know this through um, some of the most famous strong tourist brand campaigns around the world, yours included, or uh, New Zealand or India, that actually the longer you keep the basic brand, you can, you can change the campaigns around it, but keep the basic brand in a highly... Um, competitive and cluttered world, you know, it, it has real saliency by, 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 by its longevity. So uh, in many ways, uh, I, I view in a perfect world that this campaign should continue. We are constantly refreshing it, though, and uh, people often think it's a fixed, uh, it's fixed. What is fixed, if you like, is are the other key assets, the Union Jack, the lozenge, the word great. But there's an awful lot of um, uh, different visual treatments, different campaigns. I mean, you can't, in, especially in a world like tourism, you, you know, you're refreshing your campaigns regularly uh, as your insight changes, as your segmentation improves. But in all areas of the great campaign, it's moving to, to a point where, in many ways, if you look at some of the work we're doing now, you'd, you'd recognize them from the original campaign because of the basic assets and the basic, what I'd say, is the, the belief and the quality behind it. But they're very, very difficult, different propositions uh, put forward, especially as, uh, as uh, and thank you, by the way, for not mentioning the Brexit word, but especially, <laughs> obviously, as, um, as Britain um, you know, looks for a new role in the world, uh, in the world as we go forward. And, uh, and so the campaign, the brand, the brand remains fixed, but the campaigns around it are changing constantly. But the spirit and the emphasis on quality and collaboration are really uh, central to it. Well, Conrad, it is a work of art and congratulations for everything that it has achieved because the, 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 you, you raised that point before. It's that simple idea. It's that clean, clear idea, but then to be able to be sharp enough to be able to, to get it moving, to take advantage of big events, to take advantage of the context that was challenged, to generate the courage, to then generate the teamwork that has then taken it to where it is today. It's um, enormous credit to you and to the rest of the communications team, but also the rest others in government to be able to see that it could solve problems for them. It could create impact. And by, I'm sure that you've had ideas come from all sorts of different places that you'd never have thought of. But by building that enthusiasm and that momentum, that it's 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 created this wonderful idea, this wonderful idea really that is, you know, created such great impact. So it's a it's a masterful piece of work. Oh, well, thank you. It's very kind of you, David. And you're quite right. I mean, I have, um, I've always, I used to work in advertising and the, the, the mantra, and I was a creative in advertising, but one thing I was I hopefully humble enough to know, there is no monopoly on ideas. So um, it's really important to keep your mind open. Um, David, you're very, very kind. I guess you're going to um, probably switch me off now. So I just wanted to get my, um, uh, my good luck wishes in early to say good luck with your cricket. Good luck with the, um, with the team over here. They're doing really well. Um, shame about India, who's going, I think, actually going to be challenging for us all. But uh, I, I, wish your, I wish your team all the very best. Well, thank you, Conrad. Um, thank you very much. That's very generous of you. And yeah, I'm not sure that this year will be our year, but I hope it builds to be another great campaign and you'll be able to, to work very, very cleverly off the back of that and take advantage of, of the spotlight that is once again on the UK during the Cricket World Cup. But to you, Conrad, thank you so much for joining us once again. And ladies and gentlemen, there is a part two of this interview, interview with Conrad Bird as we discuss with Conrad 
the year of marketing in the UK, which is another idea that I'm absolutely fascinated by. But so tune in next time uh, on the GovComs podcast, where we explore with Conrad Bird, not the great campaign, we've done that one, but it's a great insights in that. But again, the Government Communication Service nominating this year as the year of marketing. I'm fascinated as best how they are going to pull that off. So join us once again in a couple of weeks' time when you we will speak once again to Conrad Bird to talk about the year of marketing. So thanks very much for Conrad for joining us. And thanks to you, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are in the world listening to this podcast. Thank you so much for the feedback. I was pulled up in the street the other day by someone who said, I really like your podcast because it really works for me. And that's the purpose of it. It's to reach out to government communicators to inspire you to do, dare I say it, great work. So thank you for coming back once again. I'll be back at the same time in a couple of weeks, but thanks for joining us. And it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.